Today's episode is brought to us by Umbra's sunglasses. They are armless, they have a cord, they are amazing. I love mine, I can take them anywhere. They won't fall off while I mountain bike. And if you would like to get a pair, go to Instagram, find Umbra's, O-M-B-R-A-Z, send them a message, and they're giving away three free pair this month. Something else I like to take with me anywhere is a couple packs of CS Instant Coffee. If I can't drag along all my coffee equipment, I do have that option to have incredible coffee in the backcountry or anywhere I go. Go to csinstant.coffee and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout for a discount on their incredible instant coffee. I, I always get excited about skiing a new line, uh, mountain biking a new trail, seeing around on the other side of a pass that I haven't seen yet, getting to the top of a peak and seeing the other side of a peak that I haven't seen yet. Uh, Anytime it's something new. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, trying to help you find adventure every day in any stage of life. You're going to hear from explorers, adventurers, business owners, and anyone living their life a little more out of the box than usual. Oh, been a long week already. Hope you're having a good one. It is a good week, though. I'm not, not going to complain. And it is snowing here in Denver right now, which is a great, you know, great time to start doing some skiing episodes. And this one was actually a part two from from last week's revisited episode on Thursday. So this one's part two of Brittany and Frank Kinsella skiing all the Colorado 14ers. And it originally aired in October of 2015. So it's one of the earlier ones for sure, but still a great episode, great information. What a cool thing to be able to do as as a couple. And Kurt is hosting this one. So hope you're enjoying these Throwback Thursday episodes, um, new content every Monday. Thank you so much for listening. We love producing this show, love to make it happen. Sorry if I seem a little out of it. I, it's been a long day and it's late at night. So uh, yeah, enjoy. Have a great night and stay warm wherever you are. So, Frank, you moved to Crested Butte straight out of college, you said. Was that because you had a work opportunity or because you said, hey, that's where I'm going to live and I'll figure out the rest? Well, yeah, it, it was it was that's where I'm going to live and I'll figure out the rest. I um, I mentioned it before I was at CU. I was uh, actually studying engineering and finding it all of a sudden I was no longer the smart kid in the room. So that was my freshman year at CU in engineering. And uh, so I took a year off, actually, and um, was looking at a lot of different ski areas where I could just end up and spent a year in Crested Butte fairly randomly, having not really spent any time here. And then from there on, I, I just kind of went back to CU, just, all right, I'm cranking this out, moving back to Crested Butte <laughs> as, soon as, I, as soon as I can, as soon as I can graduate, really. Um, so that's what I did. I did have a job lined up. Um, and like, like most people in ski towns, so that was, that was in the food service, you know, industry and then ended up in construction and, and that's now I'm in real estate. So I've kind of done a fairly typical mountain town, uh, progression of jobs. <laughs> well, that's really cool though. You know, I moved to where I wanted to be fresh out of college the day after I graduated with no job, said, I'll figure it out when I get there. Um, it might be a little bit more challenging depending on where people go, but I, I highly recommend it. You know, instead of chasing a job all over the nation, 
why not choose the place you want to live and then figure out the whole job thing? Exactly. I think that you almost have to have that attitude if if you want to uh, live in a mountain town and you're not already independently wealthy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and yeah, it's 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 just like Brittany was saying, and I get this from from our clients all the time. Like, oh, I want to live there, and you know, all right, well then, just do it because it just gets harder and harder if you wait. And next thing you know, you do have the dog and the two and a half kids, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe two and, and a half dogs. <laughs> not going to feel comfortable. Yeah, and you're not going to feel comfortable enough to uh, to finally pull the plug and make the move. So. Well, good for you guys. I, uh, I'm clapping here because I think that what he's done <laughs> is, is just outstanding. It's not just skiing the 14ers. It's living in one of the most amazing places on the planet to boot. So good for you. Good for you. Well, back to skiing these 14ers. Do you have a story about a time that things did not go right? And what did you have to do to, to get out of that one? Hmm. Well, I will say we actually had a pretty good success rate. We definitely did the... We knew what we were doing when we were going on these. We were paying, you know, when we talked about that earlier, we paid a lot of attention to to the weather and, and things like that. Um, you talked about your story on Sherman in, in a winter storm. And when the weather was like that, we just weren't even trying. Um, we were going to wait until, until it seemed like we were going to hedge our bets and get a good outcome. Um, as far as any, I mean, we had some long days. They weren't necessarily scary. Capital your tries. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay, so Brittany's bringing up capital. It took me four tries to ski capital. Um, we had uh, my good friend Pete Sauer, he had a he had a line kind of picked out that he really wanted to ski. Um, and so we, we had tried that in a number of different ways and different approaches, and it was just a really hard line to ski, and our plan was to both climb it and ski it. Um, it was later skied by by Davenport and and Beidelman, and to this day, they're still the only ones who've skied it. Um, so that took a bunch of different tries, and then finally realized, like, all right, let's not do that line. Let's go do this other thing that we saw along the way, but we wouldn't have seen it if we hadn't been trying on that other line. So, um, you know. Brittany, anything? <laughs> I think for me, you know, I, I, I had a pretty easy time with a lot of the uh, earlier 14ers that I skied because um, we started out on the easier ones. Um, but then when I first attempted North Maroon, um, it was pretty late in the year. It was June um, and it was really icy. Uh, conditions that we had and I just didn't really feel that comfortable climbing um, in those conditions at that point in time uh, you know with my ice axe was only going in to the ice maybe a half an inch and my crampons were probably going in less and I I did not feel comfortable in those conditions at all Frank mm -hmm. was with me so was our friend Jordan um, and they actually continued up, but I stopped and I turned around, but even turning around was scary because I sat there for probably an hour and dug into the ice with my ice ax and dug a shelf out so that I could put on my skis, um, because it was very steep where I decided to turn around. Um, after that, I definitely, that's when I decided I needed to take an ice climbing course because I didn't feel comfortable in those conditions at that point in time. Now, looking back, I'd probably be fine. Um, but you know, when you don't have the skills and you're kind of in your, you know, out of your comfort zone, 
um, you know, I, I definitely had a little bit of a freak out moment. Mm, well, good for you for turning around and then going and getting those skills. That's awesome. Yep. <laughs> then going back was pretty easy. We, I actually ended up skiing it in powder. So maybe that was meant to be because I had <laughs> really good conditions. <laughs> you had a better day the second time around anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That ice can be crazy up there. And, you know, I want to throw a word of caution to our listeners. Um, people do die skiing in the mountains in Colorado every single year, almost without fail. And it's usually avalanches. But um, the reason I say that is because it does take skill. It does take preparation. It does take planning and the right type of gear. And I just want to throw that caution out there. And the reason is because of the tourist industry. There are so many people who come to Colorado and they have some level of skiing ability. They've skied a few times and think, oh, man, I'm going to go do that. But they don't know about avalanche awareness and they don't know about all the other mountaineering skills that are sometimes necessary. And those are the ones that get in trouble. So if you're out there listening to this podcast and you're thinking, I'm going to go to Colorado and ski a 14er, then I say absolutely do it. But get trained first. Learn these mountains inside out. And I would also add to that, if you can't ski anything inbounds blindfolded without any trouble, then you probably shouldn't be skiing some of the 14ers. That's absolutely That's true. Right. <laughs> and if you're coming from another state and you're not very familiar with the mountains, you know, you always have the option of hiring guides as well that can help, you know, they can not always ensure a safe passage, but they can certainly help. So... Well, what the two of you have pulled off in skiing all the 14ers, in my mind, is an amazing feat. I think it's it's uh, way bigger than you're letting on, <laughs> and I'm thoroughly enjoying hearing your stories about how it was for you, and I just congratulate you on that. Let's talk for a minute about your website. So I jumped onto your website um, again this morning and saw 14erskiers.com as a website, and I saw, Brittany, that you just put a post up about um, hiking in the Aspen around Crested Butte there. Amazing pictures. Wow. Listeners, go to the website and check it out. There's a lot more there than just skiing on 14ers. So tell us a little bit about your website. It kind of happened by accident. We weren't really planning on having a website. Um, a number of circumstances almost forced us to have it along the way, um, primarily just to document our 14er project. But we decided to put some other stuff on there along the way, um, some biking and some skiing that we did. Um, and then after we finished skiing the 14ers, we kind of looked into expanding it. And now we have a lot of information, especially about the Crested Butte area, uh, mountain biking and hiking. Um, we have, you know, I think it's probably the best resource possible for any kind of mountain biking or um hiking that you could possibly imagine um, in the Crested Butte area. You know, it's super extensive and we give pretty good details about, you know, all the different, all of our favorite bike rides and uh, hikes and things that we like to do. So. Well, it's a neat website. It's if, for mountain lovers. It's a great place to go and, and just do your armchair travel. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> we also try to inspire a lot of people just to get outside and, and enjoy, you know, every time of the year. Oh, sure. You bet. So what about other projects? you have any uh, long-term goals, books, things in the works you'd like to visit about? Well, yeah. I mean, and that's um, that's always an interesting thing when you do finish a project like skiing the 14ers. And for a long time, we didn't have have anything. We were just kind of just skiing and, and doing whatever. Um, 
last year we were contacted by a book company um, out of the blue, actually, through our website uh, to write a guidebook for Colorado skiing. And it's not just 14ers. It's um, midwinter, you know, gladed powder routes to to yeah pyramid or or whatever on 14ers and everything in between so that's what we're working on now and it's going to be about 100 routes and that's been really fun because it's kind of been a lot like the 14ers where suddenly we're we're planning every every next weekend what what are we going to go where where are we going to ski what route are we going to ski is it good conditions let's who do, who do we know down there is can who can you know show us around and things like that so it's been it's been a lot of fun to get back into that that game in the, in the especially in the springtime a lot of exploring and, um, you know, doing some more undocumented things. And what's really cool is we are, with the 14ers, the list is created for you, but now we're creating our own list. And nice. that's really fun. Oh, that's great. So do you have a name for the book yet? The publishing company has a name for it. Um, I don't know that we're actually allowed to say right now. <laughs> yeah, they, they have a series. So they've already got some uh, in Oregon and Washington. And I think their Utah one's supposed to publish it. So it's it's a series. So it's going to, it's just the same name as all the other books except Colorado. <laughs> okay, very cool. So um, do you have an expected date that it may publish? Roughly? Not exactly. It might be in one year. It might be in two. A lot of it depends on, on the winter. <laughs> and, and, you know, if we have a great winter and we can accomplish the routes that we want to that we want to include, then then it might be sooner rather than later. But if we have a, a dud of a season like we kind of had for the most part last year, until later on at least, we might need a little more time. Well, that's really fun. You know, Jerry Roach made a lifetime out of writing guidebooks for the Colorado Mountains, and uh, it was just such an honor to to get to interview him and visit with him about all of his exploits. And you're doing the same thing now, only on the snow with the skis. So that's awesome. I, I think that that'll be a lot of fun. So listeners, since they're being a little cagey about the name and about the publication date, you're just going to have to go to their website over and over and over and over and stay in touch with them until the book publishes <laughs> so you can get it. That is them. great advice. <laughs> when when we, we will certainly, when we know it's going to be published, um, you know, when we have a date and everything planned, we will not be secretive about it at all. Um, it's just, we're not sure, you know, it really depends on, on the winner and the conditions. And, uh, going back to Jerry Roche, you know, he's actually been a great resource for us. You know, his, his books are, uh, mostly about hiking and climbing, uh, various mountains, but they can provide a lot of information for skiers as well. Um, and we've been using some of his to guide our own expeditions. You know, I'm going to go ahead and put a plug in for him. What I did not know, and maybe some others don't know, is that while he's written some of the best 14er guidebooks and 13er and high peak books in Colorado, um, he's written over 15 books on a variety of outdoor adventures and, and mountaineering routes and things like that. So um, look up what Jerry Roach has done because he has some amazing books out there, and some of them are about mountaineering in Nepal and places like that too. So really some great resources there for sure. What about tips or tricks for the sport? If someone wanted to start doing 14ers, let's say, okay, they have some mountaineering skills and they can ski everything inbounds blindfolded with no trouble, then they want to start doing this. What would you tell them? Start with avalanche training. That's the most important thing. I mean, you need to be able to read snow in a different way. You need to be able to know um, what is safe avalanche conditions and what isn't. 
and then from there, then, yeah, then you're, then you're maybe taking a mountaineering course, um, or you're, or you're hiring a guide for a few and, and picking up things along the way. Um, if you can find a mentor, that's always a really great route to go. Um, and, and then just honing your skills, you know, whether it's, um, climbing or, uh, or at the ski area, just making sure you you feel solid in all phases of, of ski mountaineering so that, uh, especially when things aren't quite as nice as you thought they were going to be that you're, you still have the skills to, to get through it and be safe. Even as established ski, ski mountaineers, we're always still working on our skills. We're always going out and practicing and we even just go out and ice climb when skiing isn't very good. Um, just, just to have that, you know, practice with ropes and, uh, and, you know, feeling the ice under your crampons and stuff like that. I know this is an ad, but this is actually how I feel. Ombra's sunglasses are amazing. They're armless, and they just have a cord that connects the frame around your head, and my son can't pull them off my head like he pulls my other sunglasses off. They won Backpackers Magazine Gear Editor's Gear Choice of the Year. They plant 20 trees for every pair they sell. And honestly, guys, I, I wear them every day. I take them everywhere I go. I just wore them cycling the other day on a long trip. It was, they just perform great. I love that there's no arms on them. I slip them in the pocket of my shirt or in my pants. I don't have to worry about breaking them. Fantastic glasses. I don't have to worry about them coming off if I'm wrestling around with my son or playing with my dogs. Uh, I, I really do enjoy them, enjoy them and I'm gonna be buying more for myself for the foreseeable future. I mean, they're just, they've totally changed the way I look at sunglasses. You can check them out too at ombras.com, O-M-B-R-A-Z.com. They make a great Christmas gift. I know you can't always make coffee the way you want to in a lot of the places that we go, you know, in the back country or on top of a mountain somewhere. But the good news is there is a great option for coffee in the back country and it's CS instant coffee. They make big pouches that fill, you know, 20 ounce containers with fresh coffee. Just put some hot water in there and you're good to go or put cold water in there and then you can have some cold brew. They use 100% compostable packaging. So just in case you dropped it, please don't. But if you did, it's going to biodegrade into the ground. It's great for backcountry travel or any time you just don't feel like breaking out the coffee maker or the French press or whatever. I actually use them all the time just in my house when I don't feel like making a big pot of coffee. So check them out at csinstant.coffee and use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to get a discount. You know, very good advice. And one thing that we didn't mention earlier, but you kind of alluded to, is skiing is not just skiing on groomed runs or in nice conditions. When you get into the backcountry, you're going to encounter everything. And there are probably 150 different types of snow conditions out there. So you need to be able to ski confidently in all conditions. Yeah. And having fat skis helps a lot too. <laughs> we refuse to ski on anything under 100 under a hundred underfoot these days. So a hundred underfoot. That's really yeah. fat. 
that's not fat to us. <laughs> like, I think like, my favorite skis are, you know, 110 to 115 even. Um, but we refuse to ski anything that's under 100 underfoot. So it just makes it just makes so many conditions so much more difficult. You know, if, if you can get something that's 100 underfoot or wider, it makes, um, you know, any kind of breakable snow easier. I mean, it's not just a powder ski. You know, it's great in breakable crust or even um, really heavy slush. You know, people think that a skinnier ski is going to be heavy or, you know, better in slush, but it's it's quite opposite. I guess the idea is that if you can stay on top of the crud, it's a lot easier. Exactly. 100%, 100% right. <laughs> <laughs> so for people that don't know skiing that well, 100 underfoot, you know, the, the skis are kind of shaped like an hourglass. So they're skinniest right under your foot and the 100 is millimeters. So yep. we're talking about 10 cm- centimeters, um, which is uh, three and a half, four inches. Yeah. So do you guys kick up the mountain with skins on your skis a lot of the time or is it usually climbing with crampons and then putting the skis on when you're ready to ski? It's both. It depends on the mountain. Um, you know, usually in the valley, we're, we're skinning, obviously. And then as soon as it gets too steep for that, then we switch over and, and start booting up. And that can vary with conditions because if, if it's, you know, not if it's not springtime kind of icy for conditions, then then a lot of times skinning is just easier, even when it's fairly steep. Um, but then if it is spring and it is kind of icy, the same slope could be easier booting rather than skinning. Tell us a little bit more about the recommended equipment for this. I mean, this is a backcountry sport, but you're also mountaineering. And what kind of gear do you take with you for safety and otherwise? Always, always, always the shovel, beacon, probe, um, you know, and your basic avalanche, you know, avalanche uh, set of tools that you need. Um, And then, you know, pretty much always skins. It depends on the route. There's some that, you know, if you're skiing them late in the year, you might not even need skins. Um, the steeper routes, we certainly recommend ice axes and crampons. Um, and also, I would just recommend crampons most of the time anyway. I mean, it's always better to have them than to be out there wishing that you had them Um and we actually have a really light set of crampons that we prefer to use. We use these Camp Aluminum, uh, I don't remember the model. XLC 390 maybe? Yeah, that sounds right. But um, they're really light crampons and um, they might not be as durable as some, but they do most of what we need them to do in most situations. And if there's you know a case where we're really not sure if we need crampons or not, we always throw them in the pack because they're so light that it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really impact what we're, what we're bringing with us. Um, and we're talk about, yeah, I mean, past that, I mean, you you know, you're the standard things that that you're going to take, whether you're hiking or, or anything else, you know, like a multi-tool, uh, a compass map, um, maybe a fire starter, things of that nature, just in case something does go wrong, a first aid kit, uh, all those items, food, water, um, that's something you get you get better at the more you do. I, I know when I started um, hiking 14ers when I was a teenager, it's hard to eat sometimes at, at altitude. A lot of people have trouble with that, um, but I've learned how to how to eat. Basically, I just force myself whether I feel like I'm hungry or not because you don't want to skip that and then all of a sudden just just crash. Basically, um, I tend to eat a lot of a lot of snack foods because I I can't just 
do like a huge sandwich very often, but um, other people have their own methods. What about your boots? Uh, I know that there are obviously backcountry ski boots that um, you might be able to use with crampons as well. I'm not sure about that because I have not tried that, but uh, do you guys uh, hike in the same boots you ski in sometimes? Yeah. Um, you know, there's different fittings to crampons and, um, we, we always, ours are set to fit with our ski boots. So when we're cramponing, we're always cramponing with our ski boots on, but we might approach in the spring. We might actually approach in like in hiking shoes. Um, you know, if, if the ground is really dry, lower at the lower elevations, we might actually be hiking on a trail or just, you know, off trail in, in, in hiking shoes with our boots, our ski boots on our backs. Right. So what about recommendations for the type of bindings that you use? Well, at the, when we did them all at that time, we were still using, um, what people refer to as a frame binding, um, the Fritchie binding. Fritchie free ride. Fritchie free ride. But, um, these days the, the, uh, tech, tech bindings have gotten a lot better. We, we tend to prefer the, um, what's called the Fritchie Vipec, that's what we've been using lately. Um, but Dinafit makes, makes their models and, and there are other brands as well. But those, that's the best way to go at this point in time. Describe how those are different than just a standard Alpine binding. Okay. Well, so in, well, first off, the, the boots have to be specially fitted for it. So the boots and the toe, they have these, um, little kind of, uh, in, inserted, um, cone-shaped uh, receivers in the toe and then also in the back. They're, they're both made out of metal. And then um, the binding actually are their pins, basically. So they're pointed pins that, that snap into these slots in the boot, um, in the toe, and then in the heel. So that when you release the heel, you're basically just going on this on this pivot in the front, which is just pins into a into a receiver on the boot. Um, makes it pretty easy and, and pretty there isn't a whole lot of uh, friction in that system or weight that you're I mean they're really lightweight as well. So it can turn your skis into basically cross country style skis. Yeah, that's cool. Can you even use those inbounds in a ski area? Will they allow it? They do allow it. You do see people um, with DinaFit bindings and tech bindings uh, inbounds. We don't ski those inbounds. Um, they're a little bit harsh, both both on ter- in terms of the equipment and I think on the body. I'd, I'd much, much prefer to have uh, regular Alpine setup inbounds. They're, they're less forgiving. They're definitely more rigid, which is great when you're in the backcountry. But when you're skiing inbounds terrain, sometimes you want something that's a little bit more forgiving. Got it. And so by the time you put all of your safety gear, your food and your water in your pack, you might have your ski boots in your pack. You've got your skis strapped onto your pack. That's a fairly heavy load. What are we talking here? I think for a short day, like on something like Sherman, it's probably a 25-pound pack, be my guess, with with the food and the water and not quite as much gear. Um, On a longer one, um, you know, like something that's usually done as an overnight, like – like the ones in Chicago Basin, uh, Wyndham Sunlight Eulis that you're going to do an overnight on. Um, at that point, you're probably using what we like to call the angry widget. <laughs> um, so, you know, you've got your camping gear and your climbing gear and your ski gear. 
uh, and extra food for multiple days. And that's got to be a 60 pound pack when it's done, I'm sure. I think mine was 70 going to Chicago. (laughs) We didn't have, you know, like now we have lighter gear. Um, you know, it's been many years and the, the gear has evolved since then. And, um, but I do think, I think mine was 70. I, I could barely put it on myself. Actually, it was it was insanely heavy, <laughs> especially because that one was starting with a dry trail. So we also had the skis and and our boots on our pack for the first few miles. So wow, because that was late in May. So yeah, and we had lots of avalanche debris to cross, which was fun with a seventy pound pack. Oh no! One thing I would mention too that a lot of people overlook with their gear is bringing multiple sets of gloves or mittens. Um, I always use one set for the approach and one set for the descent. And I have another set as a spare um, because sometimes when I'm approaching, my gloves get so wet um, that they're no longer warm. Um, so sometimes I need to have two pairs of gloves on the, on the approach. Oh, that's really good advice. Our first winter camping trip years ago, we were crossing a, a frozen stream and the ice broke um, just enough for me to get one glove soaked. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a very cold weekend, and uh, I didn't have a spare. So I remember dealing with that wet, frozen glove and thinking about how dangerous that could be, a few degrees colder and, you know, frostbite, losing fingers, everything else. So I absolutely, extra socks, extra gloves, <laughs> good idea. Yep. Like they can be left, they can, you know, make such a big difference. And it's really not that much extra weight compared to all the stuff you're carrying anyway. Yeah, it's worth it. I mean, the stuff that you absolutely don't want to be without, it's worth its weight. (laughs) You just have to do it. You know, on some of our winter camp trips, uh, we've skied in with our heavy packs. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but skiing with a 50 pound pack, now that's a whole new adventure. What, (laughs) What have you done to resolve some of those issues? Well, thankfully, usually, you know, we're going into a, a site and at least getting rid of some of, you know, the, the the tent and the sleeping bag and everything else or are staying there. Then we're going up skiing, you know, the 14 or mountain or whatever it is and coming back. And then usually it's just going to be going down a valley with the big pack, which hopefully doesn't mean that you're having to do too much difficult skiing, which makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, we we usually put ourselves in situations where we're not doing very technical skiing with really heavy packs. So that does help. But that being said, it's usually survival skiing with something like that on. You know, you don't look very pretty. There's a reason why we don't have very many pictures of ourselves doing that on on our website. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have fallen down with a heavy pack in soft powder. And it's like, how on earth do you get up? You know, you're it's, it's a real chore. That's for sure. You know, I was just thinking about Crestone Peak, and uh, when I climbed it in the summertime, that back couloir going up toward the summit is so loose. It's just a bowling alley and rocks coming down on you. It must be a lot better in the winter where you can stay on the snow. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot like uh like the hourglass route on on um Little Bear on Little Bear that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, when when all those rocks are uh, frozen under snow, it's it's actually safer in some ways. Well, here's the question I said that I was going to throw you as a curveball. What inspires you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Well, you know, that's interesting. It goes a lot, I think, to um, goals. Um, I I really work really well with goals. I'm not sure that Frank works the same way, but that really helps me get out of 
the morning. Um, I'm not a morning person, but if I have a goal to accomplish that day, then I will get up at any time I need to or not even sleep if that's what it requires. Um, I don't know if Frank operates the same way. Yeah, probably not as much. For me, it's it's something new. I, I always get excited about um, skiing a new line, uh, mountain biking a new trail, seeing around on the other side of a pass that I haven't seen yet, getting to the top of a peak and seeing the other side of a peak that I haven't seen yet. Uh, anytime it's something new, uh, I probably get more excited than, than when it's something I've already done. Um, it's probably why I like to travel as well. And, and just anything I do, I want it to be something new and I feel, maybe I, I feel like I learn more from it. I don't know what it, what it is exactly, but I like, I like exploring for sure. Yeah, that's fun. It's seeing what's over the next hill or around the next corner that drives me a lot of the time too. How do you think that your sports help others? What is the benefit to society at large for people that do backcountry skiing or, or 14er skiing? Well, let's face it, we're not curing cancer, but, um, you know, it's always good for, for people to have any way to connect with the outside world and, and, you know, not spend all their time inside and in a city and, you know, realize, I mean, I guess I'm going to sound, sound very environmental here, but, you know, just realize where we're, what, we're just people and we're actually very small on the planet and, and what we can do to the planet, good or bad. And, um, I guess those are the only things that are coming to my head right off the top. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, our goal so much is just to inspire people to get outside and enjoy what we have. I, I think in this digital era, it's so easy to come disconnected with the natural world, um, that, you know, we actually use digital devices to help reconnect people, um, and inspire people to try to get connected with the natural world. So I think that's our overall goal. I'm just envisioning what it must be like for you to be, um, climbing up a mountain, you know, the, the crisp morning air, the steam coming out of your mouth, the, the sun rising, maybe some, some snow crystals, you know, catching the, the sunlight just right. And being out there moving and seeing views and beauty that few people ever get to experience. I'm inspired just by the one little glimpse of a thought of what that must be like to get out a whole lot more. And I may not be skiing 14ers, but I want to be out in the backcountry um, experiencing what you experience. That's That's got to be amazing. Yeah, we're pretty lucky, um, you know, to have these experiences on a regular basis. Um, and it, it, it just, it, it's like every day you can be refreshed by spending just a little bit of time in the outdoors. A lot of times people say, oh, I don't really have time. And the thing is, is that you just need to make time. It's not that you don't have time. You could always watch less TV. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's just so important to, to have people realize in their lives. Oh, yeah. Very, very good. What about a funny story for us? Pete's story coming back from Crestone? Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, okay, so Crestone Peak. So Crestone Peak is one of the harder ones and one of the longer ones. The trailheads um, in the Sangres are often lower than they are in some of the other ranges. So it ended up being a really long day. I think it was an 18-hour day. Um, and we did it from the west side, which is the town of Crestone, which is a really small town in the San Luis Valley, 
So we got into Crestone after after doing this, and it was pretty late. And we went into into a restaurant bar, and they said that they were closed for for food at least. So we, we were, were very hungry, and we were starving. Obviously, it's been eighteen <laughs> right. hours here. We started it. I don't know when we started. It was probably like we one start. The, we started in the dark and finished in the dark. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we're starving and Crestone's kind of in the middle of nowhere and we're, we're heading, you know, Brittany was still living on the front range at that time. We're, we're heading, you know, either to Crested Butte or, or to the Denver Boulder area. And so we get in the car and we're going and our friend is driving, he ends up getting pulled over and for speeding. And thankfully he didn't get a ticket. But the point is we end up rolling into Salida at, was it 10.02? Yeah. I think it was 10.02 trying to get to McDonald's because we knew they would <laughs> and McDonald's closes at 10, not 10 02. So if we hadn't been pulled over, we would have made. <laughs> oh, no. And, um, so we're, we were bombing out, but thankfully there was a seven 11. So we had to eat the, whatever's on those roller things at seven 11, um, which were delicious by the way, that was probably the best meal ever. And, uh, <laughs> after that kind of a day, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then meanwhile, you know, the next day we're talking to our, our friends who who were in another car behind us and they when they were at the same place um in Crestone, they used the restroom or something, started talking to the bartender and told them that they had just skied Crestone and the bartender was like, What? No way, you must be starving. You guys want a burger? <laughs> so, oh, no. So they That's ended not up fair. In, they they ended up, yeah, we found out the next day that that they they got hooked up with burgers and we ate 711. But uh But they got pulled over too. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the other moral of the story. Don't don't speed in the San Luis Valley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, the San Luis Valley also has a great reputation for UFOs, so who knows what that's you're going to get pulled they over do. by. <laughs> Right, right. And alligators and all. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny place. So <laughs> It is a funny place. Brittany and Frank, what final words might you have for our listeners about adventure sports or 14er skiing or living in Crested Butte in general? I just say, you know, enjoy every day that you have and, and make sure to get outside as much as you can. Life is short. You never know what's going to happen. So, uh, you know, just just live for the now. Yeah, that's pretty good. I don't know if I change it all that much. Um, yeah, same lines. Just just enjoy what you're doing. Make the time. Um, find something that inspires you and, and keep doing it. So if our uh, listeners are interested in learning more, is there a way that they can get in touch with you? The best way to get in touch with us is through our website, 14erskiers.com. And that's 14erskiers.com. You know, we have a contact page on there and we have our email addresses right on it or we have a contact form that you can fill out. Frank, you need to tell people that want to move to Crested Butte how to find you. Yes. CrestedButteRealEstateAgent.com. Call me. No. <laughs> CrestedButteRealEstateAgent.com. Yeah, all one word, no spaces. Yeah. And call Frank Kinsella and he'll find you a place to live so you can live the dream too. Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> right He's on. He's good at it. <laughs> <laughs> good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. 
And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>